Welcome to the Florida Law Podcast, episode 15. My name is Rebecca Valentina Roca, and I'm a lawyer practicing civil law in Florida. For today, we have a bonus episode. We're going to be turning our attention a little bit away from the Sunshine State and focusing on what's in store for this term in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. And we'll be specifically looking at what's on the horizon, a sort of digest of upcoming criminal cases. That's something I want to take a look at. Um, and we're going to be, some of them are, are pending oral arguments, some of them have had oral argument done already and are waiting for decision by the justices. Is that correct, Santiago? That's correct. Wonderful. So it looks like we're going to go through today, today's episode will be a little bit shorter, but we're going to be going through first a series of two death penalty cases and then moving on to some other criminal law cases. So Santiago, can you tell us about the first case that we have on the horizon, Buck Law versus Precise? Yes, of course. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me first. Thank you for um, listening to us. Well, that case, Mr. Bucklow, is a um, very interesting death penalty case with implications for all the states that have the death penalty still um, in the books in the United States. Um, this case comes from uh, the state of Missouri. Mr. Bucklow is a very violent person, nobody disputing that, who committed many atrocities, including the mother of a six years old, the mother of a uh, male, an adult male, I mean, all kinds of atrocities. Um, he has been litigating his execution for about 10 years in the state of Missouri. What he argues is the following. He has a very uh, weird medical condition. It's a condition that affects his blood and veins. And what he, his lawyers argue is that medically, uh, there is evidence that the lethal injection as um, performed in the state of Missouri would cause him extremely suffering and pain in violation of the Eighth Amendment. Remember that phrase of the Eighth Amendment, uh, no uh, cruel or unusual punishment. So that's what he is examining and he is proposing not to be executed um, by lethal injection, but to be executed in the gas chamber. So let's step back here a little bit, yes. Santiago. So in, in lethal injection is, is usually the norm in, in the states that have uh, death, the death penalty, correct? Yes. But from my understanding is that some states have an option or an alternative or a backup method depending on the individual state. Yes, Florida, yes most of them, including Florida, in their groups, say in their statute says that the execution will be by lethal injection or by gas chamber. I believe that the only state that has a different method is Utah that uh, prescribes uh, the firing squad. Uh, and I think there was also, uh, there may be one or two states that may even have electrocution still in the books. Yes, I believe Luciana still has that in the books. Okay. Yes. All right, so he's arguing that, hey, Missouri, you can't put me to death. I have this medical condition and lethal injection is not going to work on me. Yes, it's going to be a violation of the Eighth Amendment and a one gas chamber. Of course, we have to say that there is no gas chamber operating in the state of Missouri, nor protocol to operate the gas chamber. And it's also important to say that gas chamber was abolished because it was considered to be cruel and unusual punishment, and therefore of the states moved to lethal injection. 
So I guess that's a peripheral issue that it's going to have to come down the pike on this case. Well, it's not the focus um, for what the Supreme Court's deciding. What right? is important legally in this case, what is important is that as of today, um, the inmates in death row have the burden to prove that the lethal injection as applied to them, individually to them, is um, uh, causes unusual and extreme suffering or pain, and therefore is a violation of the Eighth Amendment, and that there is another method, whatever uh, it is, is the burden of the inmate to propose, or the defendant to propose uh, that method, that does not cause that pain. There is not medical evidence as to that, okay? There is because of many reasons, including that, of course, everybody put under uh, lethal injection dies, okay? So there is not normally, there are some exceptions, okay? Some people who uh, lethal injection fell a couple of times, there is uh, one made and was released. But um, there is not scientific evidence, let's say, to, uh, to say that causes. Um, suffering pain, extreme pain and suffering uh, in violation of the Eighth Amendment. Um, but the inmate, the, the defendant has the, the burden to prove. So, in other words, they are um, they are put to a test in which they have to prove an act, let's say. And this is what they are asking the Supreme Court to change. And Mr. Buckle has the added complication of this medical condition. Yeah, they are using, I mean, it's being used this case as a test case trying to change the burden um, in those allegations that uh, lethal injection causes uh, cruel um, and unusual punishment. That's what they are. That's why it's important for all the states, is the states uh, that have death penalty. And that's why all the states that have death penalty file uh, briefs uh, supporting the state, in this case, the state of Missouri, and supporting the execution through lethal injection. Is there anything else we know about this case? That well, we, know, or? we will know. We will know whether the Supreme Court changes the standard. Um, it's the burden of the state to prove that it does not cause uh, extreme suffering and pain, or is it as today keeps the standard as today is the burden of the defendant to uh, to prove that it does cause that. Great. Well, let's. Move on to our next death penalty case that the Supreme Court has on the horizon. Um, am I correct? Is Madison versus Alabama, Santiago? Yes, it's the case of uh, Madison versus Alabama. And it's also a very interesting case because the facts of the case is that uh, Mr. Madison murdered a police officer, um, murdered uh, or tried to murder other people, extremely violent person. What is now here on the table is the definition of uh, for purposes of death penalty, the definition of mental illness or mental incapacity, to use uh, legal terms, because uh, Mr. Madison does not contend that he is competent to stand execution. What he contends is that he does not remember the crime he committed. I mean, there is evidence supporting that argument that he does know remembers the, the, the he does not remember the, the crime he committed and therefore he should not be punished because the standard of um, incapacity for purposes of execution should also encompass uh, whether the offender 
in good faith remembers or not remembers the, the crime. In other words, should is a violation of due process to execute an individual who knows he's going to be executed, but who does not know why he's going to be executed. That is what is on the table. Okay, so let me break that down a little bit. So my understanding is that Mr. Madison understands what a prosecutor is, what an attorney is, what the judge is, what the death penalty is, but it's the issue about what his memory, he can't remember what he's being tried for. That's correct. That's correct. That's correct. And uh, that's what is uh, on the table in this particular case. And we've seen over the last 30 years, the death penalty has been mentally retardation, juveniles, this has been solely being eroded. And I guess what they're trying to do here is kind of push this further in that direction, correct? Yes, there is. there are a couple of cases um, stating that the states may not execute uh, mentally retarded uh, or mentally insane, both retarded and or insane offenders. Um, but the last one is Atkins v. Virginia, if I remember well. But there is not a, a, a definition of what is mentally disabled. Exactly. Is mentally disabled a person who has lost a recollection of his past life, including the, the offense for which uh, he was uh, convicted, or not. So that's what has been asked the Supreme Court, to come forward with some kind of test explaining exactly what is the meaning of um, this uh, mental retardation or, or this uh, mental incapacity, what is mentally disabled. This, these are the terms that the Supreme Court is, is using. No? Anything else you need to know about this case? About the death penalty, no. Those are important cases. Uh, death penalty is always, always difficult. There are a couple also of criminal cases very interesting. So let's move on. I think the next one we have is, I think it's pronounced Stockling versus U.S.? Is there yes. more than one case involved here? Yes, it's three cases into consolidated into one. And, uh, and Stockling is from Florida? Stockling came from Florida, but there are two more cases, uh, State and Sims that comes from Tennessee and Arkansas, if I'm right. And the, the, the issue is, what are the elements of a crime? In this particular instance, what are the elements of robbery and what are the elements of burglary? Uh, under, uh, in federal law, okay, under the Armed Career Criminal Act, uh, an offender who has committed, and this is the problem, has been convicted of violent felonies in the state, has been convicted in the past of violent felonies, and is found in possession of a firearm, faces a substantial penalty. Okay, I believe there is a minimum mandatory of 15, uh, 15 years. So the issue is what exactly a violent felony is a burglary per se, a violent felony, and what is a, uh, a burglary. The, uh, there are states, and this is what is in this particular case, like the state of Tennessee, that in their statutes defines a burglary as uh, breaking in any habitational area. That could include boats, cars, many things, no? For instance, that's, that's one, okay? There is also... Uh, well, let me, let me roll yes. back a little bit. Okay, so practically speaking, 
in, in my experience, the Armed Career Criminal Act is what the feds use when they're trying to target someone who has not, uh, who they have any issues getting a lengthy prison sentence and in state court for whatever reason, right? Yes. And so the feds jump in and they file an indictment and they charge them under the Armed Career Criminal Act. And this is what I would say would be something analogous to you know immigration law when you're looking to deport someone for a criminal act. You're looking to see what the state definition is, whether that person, one of the reasons is whether that person has been convicted of a crime of moral turpitude. Yes. So you have a federal court trying to interpret the meaning of all these different state statutes. Yes. You know, what a crime of moral turpitude in Alaska may be very different from a crime of moral turpitude in Florida. Yes. Essentially, what the Supreme Court is being asked is to come again for some kind of a standard uh, defining what is a violent felony. It is a definition based on the uh, common law, definition of the crime, the crime of burglary or robbery. In the case of Mr. For instance, uh, Mr. Stockley, um, he uh, falls within the Armed Career Criminal Act because he was committed in the state of Florida uh, for robbery by sudden snatch. He took a purse, a purse from a female. So, taking a purse from a female without fighting or threatening the, the victim, just by taking it and running with it, is a violent crime per se. That's what essentially the Supreme Court is being asked to, to define. Is that per se uh, a violent crime or because there is some violence? Because certainly there is some violence involved, minimal, no? but there is some violence involved. Um, force within the, the the federal statute. Whether contact is equal to force, which yes. equals violence. Yes. Okay. That's that's what they are asking. So that's that's a very interesting case. And um, the other interesting case, I believe you have for me, mm -hmm. is. I think you have Gamble versus Alabama. Is that correct? Oh, that's very interesting. Mr. Gamble versus Alabama is being argued as we talk, and in this particular case. Um, Many lawyers and non-lawyers, okay, cannot believe that double jeopardy is only the prosecution and conviction of a defendant twice by the same jurisdiction, in the same jurisdiction. So, let's suppose you committed a robbery in the state of Florida, uh, you are tried and you are acquitted or convicted. The state of Florida cannot prosecute you again for the same robbery because it's the same jurisdiction. But because we are in a federal uh, state, in a federal nation, and because of the concept of the dual sovereignty, then the federal government can prosecute you for the same crime. Separate sovereigns we refer yes. to. So if you commit a bank robbery and the state prosecutes you for a bank robbery, but then you were acquitted, you're going to be charged under the Federal Hobbs Act for a bank robbery, the federal government encourages you. Exactly for the same crime. Even if you were convicted in the state of Florida, I suppose. You're going to be acquitted once, convicted a second time, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the combo. It doesn't matter the combo. You can be prosecuted twice for the same crime in the in federal court, in the course of the United States, mm -hmm. and in the course of the state of Florida, or any other court of any other state. Supposedly, supposedly under this doctrine, you could be uh, prosecuted and tried 51 times. I mean, in every state plus in the federal system. Okay? And this has been constitutional despite what the you know common knowledge is of what double jeopardy is. From the beginning of our nation. 
from the very beginning has been constitutional. So now Mr. Gamble finally got his date before the Supreme Court. Mr. Gamble was arrested, is a committed felon, who was arrested in the state of Alabama with a firearm. He was taken to a state court in Alabama, he was uh, convicted, and then the federal government uh, indicted him and took him to the federal system and prosecuted him in the federal system. And Mr. Gamble now in the Supreme Court is saying, uh oh, you have to change 200 years of jurisprudence because the concept of double jeopardy should be extended to any prosecution within the geographical terms of the United States. So if I am prosecuted in Florida, I cannot be for a crime, I cannot be prosecuted in the federal system for the same crime or in any other state for the same crime. So that's uh, been argued right now and uh, as you know it has uh, many, many political connotations. That's it. And if, I think one of the, we're wrapping up shortly, but there's one more. Tim's versus Indiana. I think this case was very funny for a well, reason. Well, it's interesting because it's interesting. I mean, if you like constitutional law, it's very interesting because it's... It's a brain twister, I think. That's yes, why. it's asking one question, okay? What provisions in the Bill of Rights have not yet been incorporated against the states? And whether the protection, the Eighth Amendment protection against excessive fines has been incorporated against the states, in this particular case, against the state of Indiana. So what happened in this case... So this, we're, the, the Supreme Court is looking at the Eighth Amendment in two completely different contexts here. Totally different contexts. Death penalty, lethal injection versus fines, and I think there's a luxury car involved. Yes, in this particular case, it. there is a luxury but let me tell you that at least there is agreement in one thing. There are two provisions of the Tenth Amendments that have not been incorporated. Okay, that's clear. Whether this provision has been incorporated is not so clear. But there are two provisions that have not been incorporated against the state. One is the um, the doctrine of the, the Grand Jury Clause. There are many states, especially in the south, the state of Florida among them, that do not charge by grand jury, charge by indictment, most of the offenses. There are New York is the most common example. Every crime, I, I, you know, it, that's a yes. very, grand jury has to take a look, right? In, in New York, not in Florida. In Florida, only first degree or capital felony. Not first degree, life or capital felonies, okay? Uh, Sorry, sorry, I'm saying something incorrect. Only capital felonies in the state of Florida. Only capital felonies, meaning felonies punishable by death or life, uh, have to be charged by the grand jury. Everything okay. else is left in the state of yes, Florida. Yes, it's in the discretion office. of the state of Florida, including federal felonies and felonies punishable by life. Not capital felonies. That was my uh, twist on before. Sorry, I apologize for it. But... Um, Yes, in this particular case, what happened in Indiana is that Mr. Teams was driving a new brand Land Rover worth about $42,000 when he decided to stop and buy some heroin from uh, undercover officers. He was arrested uh, for the possession of the, the actual uh, uh, buying the heroin, the possession of the heroin, was taken to court, and 
part of this, uh, as a part of the sentence, the court decided to uh, forfeit the land rover. The argument was that in the state of Indiana, the fine for the amount of heroin Mr. Tim possessed is four times less than the value of the car. $10,000 or so? Yes, like. yes. So, based on that difference between the fine and the value of the car, uh, the trial court denied the state motion to forfeit the car, saying that there was no proportionality under the Eighth Amendment, there had to be a proportionality. The Court of the State Appeal, the Court of Appeals affirmed trial court, but the Supreme Court of the State of Indiana said no, because the Eighth Amendment uh, protection against excessive fines has never been incorporated against the states. Therefore, no. And that's what we have the Supreme Court to decide. Now, um, whether the, uh, this uh, clause of the Eighth Amendment has been incorporated, the protection against excessive fines, or not, or it should be, or it will be. We know that in 2010, if I remember well, in McDonald's v. Chicago, the Supreme Court ruled that the Second Amendment, the right to wear arms, was incorporated against the states when the city of Chicago had a blanket prohibition for the possession of firearms. You remember that case, no? And the Supreme Court ruled and said, no, you can't do that because the citizens of the residents of Chicago under the Second Amendment, they have a right to wear arms. So, I don't know, uh, of course, nobody knows, there are good arguments and great lawyers on both sides. Soon, as of January, February, we will know the response to all these cases. Thank you, Santiago. Well, that concludes the 15th episode of the Florida Law Club podcast. That was a bonus episode today. Let us know what you think. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at floridalawpodcast at gmail.com. So our quick disclaimer, this podcast cannot and should not be construed as legal advice and is for entertainment and informational purposes only. If you have any questions about a case you may have, we advise you to contact an attorney. This podcast cannot and should not be construed as creating any legal relationship with any subscriber or listener and it has not been approved for any legal education credits. Uh, this episode was produced, directed, scripted, and edited by Rebecca Valentina Roba, copywritten and all rights reserved. Thank you, Santiago. Thank you to you.